Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week, we look at two stories. Protests over press censorship in China and the nomination of Chuck Hagel to be America's Defence Secretary. First, China, where a storm over censorship at the newspaper Southern Weekend seems to have forced the Communist Party to back down. So could this be a significant turning point in the battle for free speech in China? One of our correspondents there is Catherine Hiller, who covered the demonstrations and their aftermath, and she's on the line now. Uh, Catherine, just first for background, what was the argument about and how broad did the protests become? Well, the initial argument was over some kind of really technical issue, uh, something journalists here call a breach of censorship protocol. So normally at Southern Weekend, censors would not intervene in copy or change copy that has already gone on the page. In this case, however, they were looking at a kind of New Year greeting message, an editorial, really, and the censors from outside the newspaper, from the party's propaganda department, directly rewrote a text that had already undergone several rounds of changes and approvals, and that was the straw that broke the camel's back, and, and that triggered protests from the editors and some of the writers. So the, the editors and the writers went on strike, but then it didn't just become a sort of local dispute. I mean, it, it, it uh, attracted wider attention and, and wider support, didn't it? What happened is really that they had, different from, from earlier uh, disputes like this, they had uh, Weibo, which is China's version of Twitter. So lots of people involved in the issue or their friends took to the microblogs and publicized the issue, and that immediately spread the news and uh, attracted attention from others. And so one thing we've seen is a street protest outside the gates of the newspaper's offices here in Guangzhou, and that street protest has attracted all sorts of people, not just narrow freedom of speech advocates, but also people with other complaints. Such as? For example, today we saw a young man who was complaining about the confiscation of his family's home, forced evictions, very common complaint in China. And then there was another complaint next door about a young man who had been chosen as a delegate of the provincial legislature, but who these demonstrators said uh, was in fact the son of a well-known local mafia boss. At a certain stage, uh, the party effectively backed down, didn't they, and said they were going to reverse this new form of tighter censorship. I would be very, very cautious with, with, the, with the wording of, of backing down. Right. I think the Communist Party is very, very skilled at negotiating things like this because their motivation is basically making sure that it doesn't spread further and restoring quiet. So in this case... They made a concession in, in rolling back some of the measures that had been built up only over the past few months, but they didn't actually give any guarantees and they did not 
uh, respond to demands that the person in charge during this incident uh, be dismissed. So has this been effective in in ending the demonstrations? Uh, Because you've uh, written, for example, that you've been meeting veterans of the Tiananmen Square demonstrations who are turning up uh, now and and, and still seem determined to press ahead. Right. Looking at the protest today, the the third day already, and speaking to people there, it really struck me that many people didn't really care about what exactly had happened in, in resolving the dispute at Southern Weekend, because many of them had already moved on to the principal question of uh, why there is no freedom of speech and press freedom in China, and what else is wrong with this country. So... Not all, but some of the protesters uh, are determined to make this or to grab this as a window of opportunity to press for change. So how potentially threatening is this to the Communist Party? Because it sounds, you know, on the surface like a small thing, a demonstration in a provincial newspaper. But if there are people now continuing to demonstrate for all sorts of new freedoms, that does sound quite worrying for the central authorities. It is certainly something that highlights the changes in Chinese society. Although the number of protesters here on the ground in Guangzhou is very small, during the afternoon in the beginning it was like less than 50 and later I think it was just a few hundred. So although the numbers are small, the echo and the response online and on social media has been immense. And I think this can be compared with changes we've seen in the broader profile of protests in China over the past couple of years. We've seen increasing activity from the middle class. You may remember protests over environmental pollution in several cities in in China over the past few years, where white-collar people took to the streets and and demanded that polluting facilities be built, at least elsewhere, not in their own backyard. So, again, in this case, we're seeing young people, relatively high-income people, people with higher levels of education, and that's traditionally been the group that has been willing to support the Communist Party as long as it promises further economic growth and increasing incomes. And that's clearly no longer the case. That support is dwindling, and people are thinking more about Uh, civil rights now. But is there a coherent uh, front amongst the opposition? Because again, reading your accounts of the demonstrations, you talk of Maoists turning up and arguing with the civil libertarians. Yes, certainly that was a very interesting development. Nobody here really knows who invited these people or what is driving them. Among the press freedom protesters, there were several people who expressed the suspicion that the Maoists, in fact, had been invited over by the government and were maybe even paid by the authorities. And that belief was underscored by the fact that little after 5 p.m., they were packing up and going home and everyone was joking about their shift being at an end now. So they might be just agents of the government, but there are also Maoist groups that do have grievances of their own and also have quite large protests potential. But their vision for the future of the country is certainly a different one. Uh, Finally, I mean, what is Xi Jinping, the new uh, leader of the the Communist Party, uh, what do you think he's making of all this? Do you think he's following it? Well, that's the big question. I'm I'm sure he's following it, uh, because as soon as this exploded into a public protest, this was certainly no longer for the provincial censors or even the provincial leadership to decide. And it's bad timing because he has been very careful in building a certain public image, the image of a man who gets things done, who is clean, decisive, a man of the people, really, who will address issues that have built up uh, over the past decade. So this kind of disrupts that careful propaganda effort. So it's 
absolutely certain that he will be watching this and probably more than watching, but uh, so far we don't really know what he's going to do about it. The fact that these protesters are allowed to keep protesting for the third straight day certainly means something, and it's many people who are watching this think that's probably a decision taking at the top. Certainly something to continue watching. Thank you very much for your reporting down there, uh, Catherine Hillier in Guangzhou. Now to Washington, where President Obama has surprised those who believe he has no stomach for a fight by nominating a controversial figure, Chuck Hagel, a former Republican senator, to be the next Secretary of State for Defence. Mr Hagel has attracted the suspicion of the pro-Israel lobby, some of whom have even accused him of anti-Semitism. So why nominate Hagel and why now? That's a question for Jeff Dyer, our Washington-based diplomatic correspondent. Jeff, uh, why do you think Mr Obama plumped for Hagel? I think the biggest reason, and this is someone who he trusts, he's uh, got to know him quite well over the last few years. They travelled together when he was first presidential candidate in 2008. Um, They've kept in close contact the last few years. President Obama does like to to work with people he knows well. He likes to keep things quite tight. I think that's the principal reason. But he also wants to have some sort of sense of bipartisanship in his cabinet, so he wanted to have a high-profile Republican appointment, Chuck Hagel, uh, does fill that bill, even though he is actually very unpopular with lots of Republicans, as we are finding out. Uh, and then he also wants someone who has the political skills and sharps to push through, cut through the defense department over the next few years. And he obviously thinks that Chuck Hagel, with his background as a, a Vietnam veteran, his background working in the Reagan administration for the Veterans Administration, someone who will have that ability to be quite tough on the Pentagon. And what about this whole Israel question? Because some pretty important conservative journals, the Wall Street Journal, the Weekly Standard, ran pieces just ahead of Hegel's nomination, but when it was clearly in the air, more or less accusing him of being an anti-Semite. Are they going to keep up that attack or are they going to drop off, do you think? Well, that's going to be the interesting thing. I mean, it was in the build-up to the announcement that was absolutely vicious. And as you say, people were accusing him pretty much going as far as accusing him of being an anti-Semite. Now, what will be interesting to see in the next few days is whether those groups that were uh, launching those adverts are going to really up their game and really go for it ahead of the confirmation hearings, or whether they now think that now the president has come out and public supported him, whether they, they realize that they might lose this battle and so they should back off. There's been a real sort of split between a lot of the pro-Israel groups. There have been some of the more extreme groups have been very aggressively going after Chuck Hagel, but the very big pro-Israel lobby group, APAC, has said that it's going to keep out of this fight, that it doesn't get involved in confirmation hearings, it doesn't get involved in nominations. And because they sense that he will probably end up being a defense secretary, they're going to have to work very closely with him. They don't want to, to pick a public fight with him at this stage. Beyond the name-calling, does Hegel's nomination, do you think, have implications for Israel? Because he is on the record as being somebody who's very sceptical about attacking Iran, uh, which is something that Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister, has made clear he thinks may well be necessary. Well, that's really, in a sense, what this is about. I mean, the, the Defense Secretary doesn't have a great deal to do with the politics of Israel, Palestine, or any of those issues. But the, the one issue where it will be very important is on the question of Iran. As you say, he is, amongst mainstream American politicians, he's one of the most skeptical about the idea of using military force against Iran. He will presumably say his hearings, and the administration will say that the ultimate decision will be for President Obama to make. It won't be for the Secretary of Defense to make, and, and I will obey whatever the President says. And they will hope that that somehow dampens down the issue. I wonder that it could work in a contradictory sense in the way that Hegel might be, and the administration might be forced into making more aggressive and more hawkish statements about Iran in order to win approval for him as the Secretary of Defense. So in a way, nominating 
a more uh, dovish Secretary of Defence actually might push the administration into taking a slightly more hardline stance in the next few weeks. And what about other issues? Again, reading through what Hegel has said in, in recent years, not least actually in a long interview with the FT, he, he seems very sceptical about whether the war in Afghanistan was worth fighting even, and certainly whether it's worth persisting with. He also seems to be much more openly willing to acknowledge that it's a more multipolar world, that America will no longer be the uncontested number one. He does have a vision that is a very stark contrast to the dominant view something in the Republican Party. It's a much more multilateral view. It's a much more a view that you know, accepts the idea that America is in relative decline. He's much more comfortable with that. Um, there is going to be a lot of Realification of the Iraq War, I think, through his confirmation hearings. He was initially in favor of the war, but then very publicly against it and very publicly against the surge. And I think some of his colleagues in the Republican Party are going to want to relitigate that issue to some extent. But then I think the big issue that's going to come up at his hearings is going to be the issue of the defense budget over the next few years. Uh, he has been on record as saying he thinks that the Pentagon budget is bloated. He thinks there's lots of room for cuts. And that is going to be, I think, one of the main issues he's going to be pushed on very, very forcefully during his hearing. What about the other big strategic initiative that came out really in the last year of the Obama first term, this pivot to Asia, which did have a big military component, a sense that America was definitely not going to back off. If anything, it might increase its resources to Asia. How compatible is that, do you think, with a Hegel-esque view that, well, the Pentagon's going to have to cut its cloth a bit more carefully? The pivot to Asia was a little bit of a head fake in some senses in as much as it's not that the U.S. is going to increase a great deal its military presence in Asia. It's just that Asia is going to be immune from a lot of the cuts that are going to come elsewhere, particularly its forces in Europe. And there is a very strong consensus across parties through think tanks, academics, and in all sorts of defense and diplomatic circles that this is the right approach for the U.S. to take at this time in Asia to address the rise of China. So I don't think that appointment of a new Secretary of State with maybe a slightly different view of things is going to change things a great deal. There's a pretty broad consensus, for better or for worse, behind the sort of strategy that the Obama administration started outlining the last couple of years. And just a final question, Jeff. I mean, the way we're talking, it does seem uh, the implication is that we think he's pretty certain to be confirmed. Is that your view? Well, certainly it would be unlikely the White House would have gone ahead by nominating him if they didn't think they had the votes in hand. They've already lost one very high-profile candidate from the top jobs, and Susan Rice, who was widely seen as being the likely next Secretary of State, had to pull out of contention for that job because of political opposition. They don't want to lose another big confirmation battle because that would be a big setback for President Obama at the start of his second term. However, all over time, there are going to be people going through speeches and comments and interviews that Chuck Hale has made over the last few years. And if something else that came out that could be made to look as if he was anti-Israel or could be made to he's also been criticized for some comments he said about gays and gays in the military if any of these types of issues come out again if there's some new revelation then he could still be in a lot of trouble the support is there for him at the moment in the Senate team, but it's not that strong and so some new bit of information or some new uh, denunciation could still torpedo his nomination Jeff Dyer in, in Washington thank you very much indeed and that's it for this week. My thanks to Jeff Dyer in Washington, to Catherine Hiller in Guangzhou, to Martin Starber here in the studio. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.